Welcome to the New to Jesus podcast, where we find foundational truths to help you take your first steps in your walk with Christ. Hey, this is Dan Bergman. I'm excited to share with you this special podcast episode about Hanukkah and how it connects with Christmas. This is going to be our last podcast for the year, and we're going to take a short break and resume our normal schedule on January 17th. Thank you so much for tuning in this year. I've taught this numerous times, but mostly to little kids younger than, than Evan and, and Andy. So, um, but it's enjoyable, and my goal tonight is to help us understand the historical concept of it and to get a spiritual blessing from it. So let's ask the Lord to help us tonight, and we'll, we'll get right into it. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor and his family. Uh, thank you for this church family that, that we have here. And I just pray that you would bless this evening as we look into this event, which is a historical event, uh, validated in Scripture, actually. And I just pray you'd help us to be able to understand the historical concept of it, to gain a burden for your people, and then also, Lord, to be able to gain spiritual insight for our lives and application. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first of all, we're going to learn some Hebrew. I've probably taught you this before. Normally, people would see that word and they would say Hanukkah. That's how we normally say it, right? Hanukkah. So there's Hebrew, which we're familiar with what Hebrew is. How many of you have ever heard of Yiddish and you know what Yiddish is? Okay, about, about half of you, okay. Yiddish was like the main spoken language in Judaism during the diaspora. By diaspora, I mean the period of time where the children of Israel were kicked out of the land. Basically from 70 AD-ish all the way up until 1948, that was the dispersion, the diaspora. And during that period of time, Hebrew was not commonly spoken outside of the synagogue, okay, outside of the religious services. What was mainly spoken was a language known as Yiddish. And Yiddish, it's kind of like German. A vast majority of it has a lot of German words, a lot of Russian and Polish words, but it's written with Hebrew characters. Okay, so it's, it, it's a mix. But it's kind of like a European language that is Jewish, written in Jewish characters, written in Hebrew characters. And lots of times, when we have a word that's Hebrew, an actual Hebrew word from the Bible, and we get it transpired into our modern English vernacular, it goes through the lens of Yiddish. So before we get it in English as Hanukkah, it has to go through the lens of Yiddish. Let me explain, okay? So, and I'm just doing this because this is normally a shorter presentation, so I want to be able to gain, show you some things that are unique, okay? So the first five books of the Bible, what is that called? Anybody know? I'm used to having class participation, so hopefully nobody's nervous. Okay, Evan, what's the first five of the book? You raised your hand, right? You forgot, okay? The Pentateuch, okay? The Pentateuch, that's the Greek... That's the Greek term for the first five books. Does anybody know the Hebrew term? The Torah, okay? And that's a good that's a good Yiddish accent right there, okay? So we would say, in America, we would say the Torah. Speaking of the first five books of the Bible, it means the same thing as the Pentateuch or the books of Moses, the Torah. In Hebrew, 
is Torah. It was, we'd say it a little bit different. Hebrew is Torah, and Yiddish is Torah. So like that's how we get it in, in English. Same thing with Hanukkah, okay? Um, in Yiddish, we would just say Hanukkah. But in Hebrew, it's Hanukkah. It's a little bit subtle of a difference, but they would change it differently. Sometimes you'll see it spelled with an H. Sometimes you'll see it spelled with a CH. The CH does not make it Chanaka, okay? <laughs> That's their way of the kind of sound, okay? Chanukah, okay? So Chanukah means something specific in Hebrew. The word Chanukah means dedication. It means dedication. So I'm going to show you this story. If you don't remember these slides, there's a bunch of comical pictures and stuff. I'm a visual learner, and most kids are visual learners, so there's going to be stuff up there uh, to introduce to you the story of Hanukkah. First, we're going to look at the characters, okay? The players in this, uh, this stage of the event of Hanukkah, the bad guy. The bad guy is the first one we're going to introduce, and his name is Antiochus Epiphanes. Can everybody say Antiochus Okay, Antiochus Epiphanes. His name is Antiochus. He gave himself the title of Epiphanes, which basically meant that he was God. And he was known as, I mean, people refer to him today as like the Apostle Paul of Hellenism, meaning what the Apostle Paul did to promote Christianity as far and wide as he could, Antiochus promoted Hellenism or the Greek uh, religion, the pantheon of, you know, Hercules and Jupiter and Diana and all of those Greek gods, Zeus, he was promoting all of those with as much zeal as the Apostle Paul promoted Judaism before he was saved and with as much zeal as the Apostle Paul promoted Christianity after his salvation. But he was a wicked Syrian king, okay? The area of Syria today, okay? Antiochus was the king of Syria. He was a legitimate leader of that country. He was the king, and he believed in false gods. Now, about 170 years before Jesus, this is when it all takes place, okay? The B.C., A.D. thing, okay, before Christ. This was about 170 years or so before Christ, roughly. So it's not that long before the New Testament. It's not that long before Matthew. The distance between Antiochus and, and, and Jesus' birth is less than the age of our country. It was, it, it was very close together. About 170 years before Jesus, he attacked the Jewish people. He was one that had that spirit of Antichrist. He hated the Jewish people, and he, he comes into Israel, comes into Jerusalem, attacks the Jewish people, sieges Jerusalem, sieges the temple, and makes worshiping the true God illegal. Does that sound familiar? There's a bunch of different things through history. I, I mean, I think of the Holocaust. Um, when, when having this, how many of you have ever seen the picture? When having this in your window was like a death sentence in Nazi Germany. And there's a picture, if you Google it, you'll find it, of a menorah on Hanukkah in the window of somebody's home in Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. And basically they were not afraid to say we are, we are Jewish. 
How does all of that tie together? Why is this so important? Is it just like the, is it the Jewish Christmas? No, it's not, okay? Um, but there's so many amazing things that tie it all together. And I better keep track of time. Okay, I got all the time, just in case. Okay, so he makes worshiping God illegal. And I want you to take a, a close look at that face there, okay? That's one of, you know, an artist rendition of a historical bust of this historical actual guy Antiochus, and that's supposedly his likeness, okay? What he did is he put a statue of the Greek god Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you look closely, I don't know how well you can see it there, but in actuality, when he had this statue made of Zeus, he made it in his likeness because he actually taught and said, I am Zeus in human flesh. Like he was literally the Antichrist. I mean, like he was an Antichrist. He was not the Antichrist, but he had that, that Antichrist type of mentality. And everything that he said and did, um, it kind of mirrors what we will see happen in the tribulation period. Uh, I'll put it this way. He was a type of the Antichrist, meaning somebody that foreshadows the actual. Like Joseph in the Old Testament was a type of Christ, okay, how Jesus suffered, and he went through all of these things wrongfully, and then one day he becomes the ruling and reigning king when he returns as king of kings and lord of lords. And so just as Joseph in the Old Testament was a type of Messiah, a type of Christ, foreshadowing the actual Christ, Antiochus was a type or a foreshadower of the actual Antichrist, which is not here yet. So what he does is he forced the priests, the Levitical priests in Jerusalem, to sacrifice a pig on the altar in the temple. And, and we just kind of talked about this this morning with Solomon in Sunday school, okay? That altar was to be used to sacrifice this animal. Now, why would sacrificing a pig be bad? Forget about the false god thing at this point, but just think about the animal. Why would that be bad? Okay, somebody other than Evan. Andy? Because it's unclean. It's unclean, okay? It's not kosher. It was forbidden in the book of Leviticus. Not only that, but it's being sacrificed to an idol, to a false god statue that was set up in, in the temple. Um, this, this really ties together with what we will see happen in the tribulation period when the Antichrist goes into the temple and claims that he is God. And so the soldiers of Antiochus's army were pressuring and forcing the priests to do this. Enter, oh, hang on, I got another slide before the, before the hero comes, okay? Antiochus also made a law that if you taught the Bible, you would be killed. So this, this all transpires about 170 years before Jesus. Can you see that, that Satan has a plan? Satan has a desire? Um, ever since um, the beginning, okay, ever since um, the Garden of Eden and then Abraham was given the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, that somebody from his seed would bring blessing to the entire world, and then ever since, Satan has put a crosshairs on the Jewish people trying to annihilate the Jewish people before the Messiah would come. We see that in the Christmas story with Herod making a decree that all of the children two years old and younger should be killed. We read about that a little bit this morning in that, in that passage, okay? Satan is trying to eliminate the lineage of the Messiah 
And in this case, he's trying to do it before the time of Jesus. So he made a law that if you taught the Bible, you would be killed. Okay, enter Matthias. Matthias is the resistance, okay? He's the priest. Uh, he's a priest in the temple, and he refused. He said, I am not going to do it. I'm not going to sacrifice a pig to your, to your false god statue. Then there, then there was a priest that said, okay, well, I'll do it. Okay, Some, one of the priests said, I'll do it. I'll go ahead and do what you say. Well, Matthias, you know, he goes ahead and he kills the guy. I always tell all these kids that I teach this to, I said, was that right? Was that right what Matthias did, killing, killing that guy? No, okay? The Bible says thou shalt not kill. But you can see the zeal that he had in, 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 in the worship of the true God. And so with this action, with his, his son that comes on the scene, I think it's the next slide, his family organized a rebellion. This was the beginning of the rebellion, that would last three years of Matthias and his family, okay, the Maccabees, they would be leading a rebellion against Antiochus and his armies. Do you think these guys, this family of this priest, were like, you know, Navy SEALs being able to take on the, 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 the well-trained army of, of Syria? No, okay? They were a, a ragtag bunch of people that didn't know anything what they were doing most likely, but God was on their side. And this, this rebellion lasted three years. His son, Judah Maccabee, becomes the hero of the story. Um, Maccabee means the hammer in Hebrew, okay? So this is Judah the hammer. Kind of sounds like a, a, a wrestler, like a pro wrestler or something. Judah the hammer. Um, but he led the army to recapture the temple so not only were they fighting in Jerusalem, not only were they fighting the armies of Antiochus, but they were actually trying to recapture the temple grounds that were taken by Antiochus. And on the 25th of a month called Kislev, so the Hebrew, the Hebrew calendar is different from our Gregorian calendar. On the 25th of Kislev, which is equivalent to our month of December, they began to cleanse the temple. They actually got the temple back from Antiochus. They defeated Antiochus' armies. And on the 25th of Kislev, they began the cleansing of the temple. So here's the dedication of this temple. Here's the miracle of Hanukkah. Now, does anybody remember from the beginning of our discussion what, what Hanukkah means? Dedication. Okay, so dedication. It's known as the Feast of the Dedication is what it's called, okay? Hanukkah means dedication. The dedication has to do with the rededication of the temple because it had been defiled. It had been defiled with idol worship. It had been defiled with sacrifices of unclean animals. It had been defiled because Gentiles had been in there doing these sacrifices. And so it had to be cleansed. It had to be reclaimed and it had to be sanctified for the worship of the true God. And so this sanctification of all that was there took eight days to do. There was a lot of cleaning up to do. There was a lot of ritual cleansing that was prescribed in the law to be done. And it couldn't all be done in just a short amount of time. It would take at least eight days. And as the legend goes, okay, as the story goes, there was only enough oil 
for one day. Now in this menorah here, I have some candles. And these are birthday candles, by the way. It was all we could find on short notice in an area that doesn't have a whole lot of Jewish stuff. Um, but in the temple, those, those wicks or those basins in the menorah held oil. And that's how they lit the menorahs in the temple. And there was only enough oil for one day. See, everything was trashed. Everything was messed up, stolen, desecrated. And there was only enough sanctified oil for one day. And the miracle is that that one day's worth of oil lasted the entire time that was needed, miraculously, to cleanse the temple and to create more Levitically sanctified oil. That is the miracle of Hanukkah, that the temple was being able to be rededicated. Not only were the armies defeated by people that, by all means, shouldn't have been able to defeat them, but the temple was recaptured and rededicated miraculously when there was only enough oil left for one day. Now, this is in the intertestamental period. This is between Malachi and Matthew when this occurred. Almost smack dab in the middle between the two. How can we have any idea that this is even remotely true? Well, I want to share something with you that's interesting. The reason partially that I believe that this is actually valid is we read, whoops, I pressed the up button instead of the down button. We read in John chapter 10, and it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the, what? Ladies and gentlemen, that is Hanukkah in the book of John. Now, I don't know why Jesus, it says here, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. This was winter. Why would Jesus be in the temple during the Feast of Dedication and that John mentions that it's the Feast of Dedication if Jesus had nothing to do with it and it wasn't historically valid, it was just made up? And so that's my inkling. I don't think we can say with 100% certainty, but I, I believe personally that it actually happened because I believe our Lord validated it when he went to the temple to take part in that celebration. Another thing that's interesting, when we look at the history of Israel, between the time of the Old Testament and between the time of the New Testament, a bunch of things had transpired. For one, we don't see Rome ruling over the nation of Israel in the book of Malachi. Right? They came to the scene in between the two Testaments. By the time we get to Matthew, look who's in charge. There had been a whole bunch of things that had transpired since then. And one of those was Israel, Jerusalem specifically, and the temple being taken over by a pagan army. That happened in between. Why are they no longer there? Why is that pagan army no longer there when we get to Matthew? Why is the temple back in service? Why was Jesus able to be dedicated at the temple when he was eight days old? Because the temple was reclaimed. Now, whether you think that it was actually a miracle or not that this actually happened, um, you know, that's up to you. But I like to believe that it's actually valid and that God actually allowed that to happen. Why? A couple of different things. If there was no Hanukkah, okay, listen very carefully. If Antiochus succeeded, there would have been no Christmas. Because what was Antiochus's goal. Wipe out anybody that worships the true God. He hated the Jewish people, much like Hitler, except he was much longer before 
Hitler, okay? He was a type of the Antichrist. And those things that transpired with the temple being reclaimed and cleansed, and a relatively short amount of time later, Jesus is born. He's able to be dedicated in the temple. He teaches in the temple. We find him when he's 12 years old in the temple. Hanukkah has a direct bearing on the things that we read in the New Testament. Now, could, have God, could God have done anything? I mean, could God have just been like, you know, wiped out Antiochus or made Antiochus and this whole thing never even happen? He could have if he wanted to. But I believe that he chose to work things through this way so that we would be able to see that Satan is at work, but so is God. And God has a plan, even in the bleakest time. And Jewish people have faced so many scenarios and situations just like that. I pressed the wrong button again. Okay, so celebrating Hanukkah today. What do, what do people do today in the Jewish homes? Well, there's eight nights of presents, okay? Not just one. By the way, I want to share something with you that's, that's interesting. I mentioned before, I asked the question, is this like a Jewish Christmas? Is this the Jewish version of, of, of Christmas? Here's, here's, here's why it's not, and this is, this is interesting, okay? The Feast of the Dedication is not only known, or, or Hanukkah is not only known as the Feast of Dedication, but it's also known as the Festival of Light. The Festival of Light. Why? Because the miracle is light. Miraculous light. When the church originally started, it was made up of a vast majority of what kind of people? Jewish people, okay? The vast majority were Jewish to the point where in Acts chapter 10, when a non-Jewish person gets saved, the Jewish people that are there, the Jewish believers, they're like, what? How can this happen? This is amazing. And it says that they glorified God because the Gentiles also could obtain salvation. And so this is something that I wanted to bring up. Is December 25th, when we celebrate Christmas, when we choose to celebrate the birth of Christ, is that because it was gleaned from some kind of pagan festival, like so many people on social media want you to believe? Christmas is pagan. Get all this stuff out of here. Why do you even celebrate it? No, I don't believe, I don't believe at all that the reason for us celebrating on December 25th is because of some pagan deity that was supposedly born that, or whatever, okay? When you look at the history of the church, it started out as a predominantly Jewish group of people. When they looked back to try and figure out, which by the way, as far as I can tell biblically, Jesus was probably born in the fall. But when we look at when we choose to celebrate Christmas, it's interesting to me that the, the, the miracle of Hanukkah the first day of Hanukkah is the 25th of December in the Hebrew calendar. And it is probable, I don't know, we'll have to ask the Lord when we get to heaven, you know, why is, why is this this? But it's probable that Jewish believers in the first century actually decided that they wanted to celebrate God giving miraculous light into the world. After all, that's talked about in, in, in Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, upon, the, upon the light of, uh, you know, in the, in the area of Galilee, has the light shined. The light is shined in the darkness. We read in John that the light has come into the world, and Jesus is the light of the world. Possibly, 
the Jewish believers in the first century decided to commemorate the birth of their Messiah, of light coming into the world, on that day. Do we know for sure? No. But it's a possibility. So they have eight days of presence. Hanukkah this year begins a week from today, so next Sunday night. Candles are lit for each night, and I'm going to show you in a minute how that goes. Blessings are recited when the candles are lit. Games are played with a dreidel, and I'm going to actually show you how this game works. Uh, And then also, jelly donuts are eaten. There's jelly donuts called sufganiyot, and there's also potato pancakes called latkes. Why do you think they would have potato pancakes and jelly donuts? Like, what in, what in the world does that have to do with Hanukkah? How do you cook donuts, like actual donuts? How do you cook them? How do you, how do you cook potato pancakes? Fry them in oil. And so during those eight days of Hanukkah, not only the jelly donuts and the potato pancakes, but lots of other things that have to do with being cooked in oil are, are, are used to commemorate this miracle. And so it's pretty good, pretty good food, okay, during that time. All right, so I'm going to talk about this dreidel here. So the dreidel is a spinning top, and I'll try and do this. I figured I'd do it before I lit the candles, because then we wouldn't have... There it goes. Okay. So on the dreidel, there's four different Hebrew letters, okay? There's nun, gimel, hey, and sheen. And each of those stands for a different word in the Hebrew sentence, a great thing happened there. When we talk about a great thing happened there, what do you think is the there that we're talking about? A great thing happened there. Israel, okay? Okay, referring to Israel, a great thing happened there. Um, But in, in Israel, if you're in Israel, you have a different dreidel. What do you think their dreidel says? Not a great thing happened there, but... A great thing happened here. And so there's American or there's Israeli dreidels and then there's dreidels for everywhere else. But they would spin these dreidels, and depending on what letter you landed on, different things would happen. And I think I have okay, I have some notes here. So any number of people can play. All begin with ten or fifteen pieces. Maybe that's pennies, maybe it's chocolate, maybe it's nuts or or matchsticks. They would have 10 or 15 pieces of something. And they would all begin with that amount. And at the beginning of each round, each player puts one piece into the pot. Okay? Now, I'm not not condoning any form of gambling or anything like that. I just want to share with you how how they play this game. And they would put one piece into the pot... Um, and if you if you if it lands on the noon, okay, that first letter on the right, that that blue letter, you would get nothing. If it lands on the gimel, the green letter, you would get everything in the pot. If it lands on the hay, which is the red letter there, you would get half of the pot. And then if you would land on the purple letter, you would have to put a piece in. And this this game has been played. I don't know how many years. Um, but that's, that's the dreidel game. Uh, when one person has won everything, the round is over. Okay. Now, before we get into Christmas, I'm going to go ahead and light the Hanukkah menorah. Now, the way that you do it, okay, is not like we would think where you just take, you know, the match or the lighter and you light one, two, three, four. It's not how you do it. In Hebrew, in the Jewish culture, everything is from right to left. And we use a special candle to light the others. This candle is called the shamash candle. Can everybody say shamash? Shamash. 
Okay, the shamish candle. And that means the servant candle. So we would light the servant candle, and we would use the servant candle to light all of the other candles. One of the blessings, there's a couple different blessings that are given, but I'll just tell you the one. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, melech haolam, asher kidshanu, b'mitzvotav, lechadlik ner shel chanukah. Which means, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commandments and commanded us to kindle the lights of Hanukkah. And then I just have to do this in order to make it stick in the middle. And I have to hold it for a minute while it dries, or else it'll fall over and burn the church down, which we do not want to do. But there's some interesting symbolism with the shamish candle, the servant candle, and when we think of Jesus, Jesus is the light of the world, right? What did he tell his disciples? He also told them, ye, ye are the light of the world. Oh, it's fine. Hopefully it, I don't know, we'll just have to see. I had to redo this one once because these candles are really skinny. They're not made for Hanukkah. They're supposed to go on a birthday cake. So they make them so you can just stab them in the cake, you know? Um, I don't know. Is that going to make everybody nervous? Ooh, it's starting to... Okay, hang on a second. Let me see if I can reinforce it a little bit. Okay. I think that'll I think that'll help it. Whew. We'll see. Somebody yell or scream if it falls down and and I'll blow it out. Okay. So it's significant that that servant candle, the shamish candle, is the one that's used to light all of the other candles. I'll keep an eye on it from up here. <laughs> But as we look at Christmas, as we look at the celebration of the birth of our Savior, the birth of the Messiah, do we see some similarities? Do we see some connections? Well, it all started in the Old Testament. I have a message that I preach sometimes called Christmas is Jewish, because it all started in the Old Testament. The passages that we think about primarily dealing with Christmas, the birth of the Savior, are passages like Isaiah 7.14 that a virgin should conceive and bear a son, and that shall call his name Emmanuel. Or we also have verses like Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. Or Micah 5, 2, where it says, but thou Bethlehem Ephrata, unto thee shall come forth unto me he that is to be ruler in Israel. Um, and so there's so many verses, over a hundred prophecies of the Messiah's coming, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, all in the Hebrew scriptures. He would be born in Bethlehem, Israel, like I just mentioned. He would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, 14, and he would be a descendant of King David. The Bible also talks about that in Isaiah chapter 9. All of this has its origin and its background in the Hebrew scriptures and with the Jewish people. And so when we see things like this, I don't want us to get the mentality of, you know, as believers, and then looking at 
the, the Jewish people as like oil and water, because that's not true biblically. Biblically, believers have been grafted in to the olive tree, Romans chapter 11, to be able to glean the spiritual blessings that God gave to Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God told Jeremiah, speaking about Israel, that he would one day do three things. That he would forgive sin, that he would put his law in our, in our hearts, in our inward parts, and that we would know him personally. That was originally given to Israel. And, and, and God tells Jeremiah, this is a new covenant. And then what did Jesus do in that Last Supper Passover meal? He took the cup and he says, this is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. And what are we here able to glean from today? Whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, or whether you're somewhere in between, you're able to glean the forgiveness of sins through the blood of the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. You're able to have God's law written in your inward parts and in your heart. The Holy Spirit of God has come in to dwell within us, right? And then also, we're able to know God personally. We're able to just talk to him like a, like a child talks to their father and, and, and find grace to help in time of need. We're able to glean all of those things. And so we shouldn't see it as us and them. We should be able to see it as they are the root and we are the wild olive tree branches that have been grafted in. That's why Paul said, don't boast against the branches. Don't boast against the, the, the natural root. What we should do is we should pray for them. They're not saved just because they're Jewish. Because they're chosen people, they're God's chosen people, doesn't mean that they're chosen for heaven. They still need to be saved. That's why Jesus in his earthly ministry said, I'm not come but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it was a mystery, the Bible says, that the Gentiles could be grafted in. And so uh, we need to pray for the nation of Israel. We need to pray for Jewish people. When I see things like this, it's enjoyable, but it's also, it, it, it brings the reality of God's love for his people who have, as a nation, rejected him. But that doesn't mean that individual Jewish people can't be saved. I read a headline that just recently, it's believed that across this world, over, I think it's over a hundred, I want to say a hundred thousand, there's over a hundred thousand Jewish believers, something like that. There's 15 million Jewish people in the world. Um, to give some kind of context to that. But the Bible also talks about that the Messiah, the Savior, would be God in human flesh, Emmanuel. And then in Daniel chapter 9, it talks about how he would come, the Messiah would come and die before the destruction of the second temple, Daniel chapter 9, so that nobody else can say, I'm the Messiah because they missed the deadline. The temple was destroyed 40 years after Jesus' death. So can you see the connection between all of this stuff? I mean, God has a, a plan um, through the ages to bring us salvation. And, and this was a step along the way. Some quick things about Hanukkah and how it connects with Christmas. Both celebrate God giving miraculous light into the world. Both take place in Israel. Both are celebrated on the 25th of December, or Kislev. Both holidays carry the theme of a servant. In Hanukkah, the shamash, or servant candle, is the ninth branch of the menorah. 
with the eight branches on either side. It stands out from the rest. It lights all of the other candles. Christmas celebrates the Messiah Jesus, God's servant coming into the world, as talked about in Isaiah. And using this date to celebrate the birth of the Messiah probably came from Jewish believers. And as we, as we wrap up this, this discussion on Hanukkah, there's one thing that I want to share with you. I do this um, many times when I talk about Hanukkah in churches. Is there's a song that I have Miss Stephanie uh, is going to play on her iPad, and we're just going to listen to it. It's going to be a time of invitation. If you feel led, the altar is open. But this is what I want us to focus on. Hanukkah was the rededication of what? The temple. What is the temple today? Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And every once in a while, probably more often than we'd like to admit, that temple gets defiled. There's idols that we set up in our heart. There's things that need to be cleansed. And so I want to share this song with you written by a Jewish believer about that very connection in Hanukkah. Think about the words as you listen. And if you, if you feel led, the altar is, is open. Thank you so much for listening to the New to Jesus podcast. You can go to our website, newtojesus.com. That's new, the number two, jesus.com. If you'd like to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at danielbergman99. And if you'd like to rate and review this podcast on iTunes, that helps us to get in front of more people to help them take their first steps as new believers in Jesus.